Hey everyone, welcome to the Hug Church Podcast. You're listening to episode number 12. So this past Sunday, we had the immense privilege of commissioning two of our leaders to be the listening ears and really the community leaders here at Hug Church. It's truly my joy and honor to be working alongside these two, Caitlin May and Justin Kuo. We are finally wrapping up our series on Simplify, so here is Eddie. We are in a series called Simplify, going from confusion to clarity. I said chaos last time, and it doesn't make any sense because I just love the word chaos, but we're going from confusion to clarity. So we did a, we've done a lot, all right? We've done the whole Mary Kondo, minimalism, purging our life and materialistic to, uh, attachments to things we have got rid of as a community. Hey, we're not like a huge community. We're not like overflowing this place, but us as a community, few of us, we have purged, detached ourselves from 3,000 items, all right, that symbolize something that we have purchased, all right, with our credit cards, <laughs> okay? And that is a huge statement because everything we pull our wallet out to buy, Every click on Amazon, it says something spiritual about what we value. There is a spiritual relationship about what we buy. And, and we are saying, we don't need these things. All right, we don't need these. So that's a very, very powerful moment. I want to just take a moment to celebrate that. And we have an ultimate goal of 5,000. Okay, so who's really good at math? 3,000 out of 5, what is it? 60% of the way, right? So I would like us to get to 80% by the end of April. Yeah. So that would be what? People are so mad because they feel like it's school right now. Okay. 4,000 items. That means we have 1,000 left to go. So please, every week, let's keep bringing those things. It doesn't have to be closed. It could be other items as well that we're going to purge. Bring it back. Bring it here. We'll take care of it. All right. We'll even count it. You don't have to count it, but if you count it, it'll be really helpful for us. (laughs) Okay. Great. Another thing we have done, we have decluttered and simplified our digital technology intake, okay? This was a painful one for some of us, okay? And we have unfollowed a lot of people. We have defriended a lot of people, okay? And some people are saying, wow, that's messed up. Well, we are unfollowing and defriending the pseudo-friends, the people that we want to really project a certain life to, project to really keep up with them, or we unfriend and unfollow these people that really have no value, that only trigger envy in our lives. And we, have, we studied King Saul about when David got more likes than him uh, and that, and that <laughs> when he came from battle and how crazy he became. He became consumed, obsessed with popularity, the fact that David had more popularity than him. I and mean, you can become obsessed, ineffective, unproductive, all right? Now, we also talked about socially cleaning up and simplifying our lives, right? Saying goodbye to certain people in our lives, okay? That was a really, really hard one. I got a lot of, I got a lot of text, cryptic text from people. Man, this message is so hard. It is. It's meant to be hard, okay? And it's going to take a long time to get there. Saying goodbye to people. All right. Now, oh, we, did, we also did our time, right? Simplifying our time. Any spare time we have in our lives, there's so many things demanding our time shopping, right, Uh, basketball, uh, Netflix, right, social media, so many things demanding of our time, even like hangouts with friends, but I encourage that one of the things that God is calling us to is to create, using our time to create, create what? Anything, all right, anything that conveys beauty, goodness, truth, because that is the way that the world sees God, physically sees God through beauty, goodness, and 
truth. There you go. Goodness gracious. There's so many things going on in my mind right now. But we're going to wrap this up. All right, we're going to wrap this up. It's going to be a little shorter, and I'm going to blaze through it a little bit. So, so keep with me. But I always like to have fun at church. Do you think church can be fun? Yes. I try to make it so that way. So we always try to play a little game. All right, so did you know that this Wednesday was a particular holiday? Do you know what it was? Ash Wednesday. Okay. Uh, fellow good Catholics in this room, okay? So normally a lot of uh, evangelical or fundamental churches don't celebrate um, Ash Wednesday because it seems too Catholic, okay? Um, that's fine. <laughs> but Ash Wednesday is, is the start of this season called Lent. Lent is this thing where you give up something for 40 days. And I have been a religious participant of Lent, all right? I've always given up meat, soda, candy, uh, other things, right? And I've crushed it, okay? I just crushed the 40 days, guys. I've just been good. But the thing about Lent is, or the thing about these, like, fads, okay, is that they don't continue. You just go right back to your old lifestyle. So so I thought about Lent, and and here's a game that we're going to play before we get into this, okay? I want to talk about the top five things that Americans give up for Lent, okay? I have to be very specific because there's international people that listen to this podcast, and they can't relate to some of the things, so I have to be specific. This is American. This is not all people. I'm not taking a global index of what everyone gives up for Lent, okay? So number five, what do you think the number five, we're going to go Five to one, all right? What do you think is the number five thing that people give up for Lent? Soda? Coffee? Meat. Okay, these are all great. You guys are very, social media? Okay. I don't know what year I took this index, so we'll, we'll see. So I like, I love, I love gifts. Are you guys really into gifts? I love gifts, all right? This is like a great, you know what gifts are? It's like 24 pictures that come create a meme or something like that, and it just loops over and over. So I like gifts. So here's our first gift of our number five thing. Click it. Oh, 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 oh. all right. This is what I look like when I give up this uh, during Lent. It is coffee, all right? Number five is coffee. Who said coffee? Boom. thousand points for you. All right. Number four, here we go. Number four, gift. What is our fourth gift? Here we go. What do you think it is? All right, so fast food. Fast food is a number four thing that people give up for Lent. Anyone give up fast food for Lent? No, we're all under the age of like 35 and 40, so we can't give that up, all right? Uh, All right, number three, the third gift. Okay, this is a scene from my wife's favorite movie. Do you remember what happens after this scene? He burps, and I, sw- I laugh so hard at this one scene. Did you hear that? <laughs> right? Anyways, but what is the third, third thing that uh, people give up is soda. Soda. Anyone given up soda for Lent before or given up just in general? All right, soda. Soda is very, very bad for you, actually. But we drink a lot of it here at Hug. I'm so sorry. Um, number two. Number two. All right. This is really blurry. I couldn't find a really high-def GIF. If anybody has a solution for this, this would be very helpful. All right. Does anybody know where this is from? Am I too old? All right? This is Andy Samberg throwing on the ground, right? I'm not part of your system. Anyways. Um, and he has this great scene. Alcohol is poison, right? He acts like this hippie guy. Anyways. So number two, the, the second thing that most Americans try to give up for Lent is alcohol. Drinking. Okay, drinking. Okay? 
Now, we're going to pause here. Don't click the next GIF, all right? So now, we've hit a lot, of the, a lot of the big ones, right? If I were to say, what are the top five? You guys all said, like, coffee, fast food, soda, alcohol. Like, we've kind of hit the top ones. Like, what could be number one, Eddie? What could be number one? You're just trying to think through what it is. Do you guys? Instagram. There's something even more powerful than Instagram, more perennial, more eternal than Instagram, actually. Something that will last humanity, this addiction forever. Click that GIF. Augustus Group, okay? And his addiction was chocolate, okay? This might be, um, this might be a surprise or shock for us liberal Californians who are so health conscious, but Americans love chocolate okay americans love chocolate i did not know this but it is the number one thing that people try to give up for lent i could do that easily like i don't know why i could not eat chocolate but americans love chocolate now again like i said you know lent is great you can crush the 40 days of lent and feel really good about yourself but oftentimes a lot of us even when you have a diet have you ever been on a fad diet before, right? I've done everything. I, 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 and you're probably like, really? <laughs> I have, all right? I've done Atkins. Do you guys remember what Atkins was? It's the thing that kills people. Yeah. Uh, 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 I've done paleonola, the paleolithic diet, right? My wife had to chop me like little containers of everything like for every lunch. It was amazing, okay? She doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> uh, I've done uh, the keto diet, all right? Anyone doing the keto right now? Yeah, we eat a lot of pizza here, so people, don't, people who do the keto don't come to hug, okay? So I've, done the ke- I've lost a lot of weight, but here's the thing. I stop, and it's, it's not sustainable, mostly because the American economy runs on carbohydrates and needs carbohydrates to create. So everything you go, you, you like, it, they make it really hard for you not to order carbohydrates, and starches because it is a very efficient and profitable thing, okay? That's just like an economist's take on why we eat so much carbs. So that's one thing. So in, even in relationships, all right, even in relationships, how many love getting into new relationships? No one's going to raise their hand to that, right? Because everyone's going to be like, <laughs> right, trying to look it up their dating profile, right? Right? There, there, there is something about, you know, there is something in relationships called the honeymoon phase. Yeah, when the guy just like crushes, right, dating life, right? It's like they just crush the interview as, as for the, the first like six months, 12 months of their dating relationship. And then they trick the wife to actually spend the rest of eternity with them. It's the biggest scam of all time, okay? So... The, the, all silliness aside, the fact that even in relationships, there's a thing called the honeymoon phase is really indicative, okay? That there's something about that honeymoon period, it's so hard to make it last. It's so hard to continue these things, okay? It's so hard to make it a lifestyle. You just kind of crush it for like a, a short amount of time, and then you just kind of like get fat and like stop dieting. Just talking about myself a little bit. Um, you know, even there is scientific data that 
that when you get into a new relationship, you have the same brain chemical experiences as doing cocaine. <laughs> it, does, it has the same effects. The adrenaline and dopamine in your brain become so receptive when you're in a new relationship. And it takes about 18 months to fade up. Uh, to wear off, okay? So now a lot of people are spinning their wheels. I can see their eyes because they're thinking about 18 months. Yep, that's about right. (laughs) I get into a new relationship about 18 months or after 18 months, I'm like, why am I so bored right now, right? So it is a thing, okay? Getting into new relationships, right? So it's hard to make that feeling last. It's hard to make that excitement and that romantic relationship just continue, okay? Even in our, uh, our romantic relationships and friendship, right? And then when it comes to spirituality, there is another concept called the retreat high experience. Has anybody experienced the retreat high experience? Oh, oh my goodness, like cocaine is like down here compared to the the retreat high experience. You're just crying and you're just like, I just love everyone. God loves me. God forgives me. And you just want to be this angel. And then you come back down the mountain and you're just like flipping off everybody because they're so messed up. Humanity, right? So again, even the retreat high experience, right? You have this incredibly concentrated time where you're just experiencing something so great, but it's really hard to continue that. Would you agree? It's really hard to keep that thing going. And so as to close this simplify series off, I want to talk about how do we continue? We've done a lot of great things. Living this very simple lifestyle, simplifying our life so that we can produce fruit and grow and evolve and, and make an impact and be effective. We are simplifying these things, but like anything, right? Honeymoon phase, fad diet, retreat high experience, it's really hard to continue that momentum. Would you agree? So it's really, really important that we talk about how do we continue, all right? That's the question I want to talk about. How do we continue to simplify? And if you haven't been a part of a Simplify series, you can, you can, you can use this and replace Simplify with anything. How do you continue anything in your life, all right? The things that, how do you continue momentum? How do you keep it going, okay? Well, I like to read a lot of books. Do people still read books? In this room? Okay. Good. Very, very good. So one, a book that I, I really enjoy and I thought was really meaningful, everybody asks, like, hey, what's a good book that you'd recommend? I read a book called uh, The Power of Habit. Does anyone else know that book? By Charles Duhigg. All right. I'm glad I have another fellow reader in this room. All right. So Charles Duhigg comes with this revolutionary research about the science of habits. Okay. How to, so here's the thing. The reason why Lent does not work or sustain or keep going or continue is because you can't drop a habit. Does everyone know that? You can't drop a habit because you have conditioned your life to receive a reward from that habit. And if you, if you all of a sudden drop it cold turkey, you have to fulfill that habit with something else that gives you the same reward or even greater. And if it doesn't, then you just go back to the habit that gives you that hit, all right? That's why pornography is a very, very dangerous habit because there's not a lot of things that can give you that same amount of jolt and effect in, a, uh, uh, in your brain as that. So he has a very simple diagram um, called the habit loop, 
And essentially is this. You have a cue. This cue triggers a routine that you have. And that routine gives you a reward. And then that reward reinforces the cue. So I'll give you an example. So he uses the uh, example of a rat. All right? We do a lot of tests on rats. Okay? And this rat has a click. Click. All right? He hears a click. That rat goes through the maze, and he has a route of that maze. And then he knows that at the end of that maze is a piece of chocolate. Okay, and he eats that chocolate. Every time the click happens, he goes to that route, and then he eats that piece of chocolate. That is the routine or habit that he builds. And the reason why that has become a, uh, it is scientifically proven that that is a part of the science of what is happening is because when they move the chocolate, the rat goes to the exact same spot where the chocolate used to be. He's built this routine because he thinks that there's going to be a reward there, right? And so he has to build a new routine to get to that reward. I'll give you a little bit more um, relatable example. So uh, there's a woman that has a habit of eating cookies at work. Okay, Anybody else have this problem eating snacks? You have a packed kitchen or something at work, all right? She was gaining a lot of weight, and she wanted to change this habit. And they had to say, like, whenever she felt stressed or tired after work, she would go to the kitchen and grab a cookie. And eat it. And one of the things that uh, the, the researcher found that is a reward from that, what she was actually looking for was social, social connection. Because whenever you go to the kitchen, whenever you go to this desk, you, have to, you get to spark conversation with your coworkers and just kind of unplug from your work that you're so stressed out about. And that was the reward that she was looking for. And so... When she, when she felt that feeling of angst after work or that stress, which is the cue, she realized she has to replace the cookie routine with anything else. So she st- started to say, uh, go up to a coworker and say, hey, do you want to take a walk around the building? Because that was the reward she was looking for. And so that is one way that you can flip or transform a bad habit or routine. You have to replace the routine with something that gives you equal or even greater reward than the original thing. Make sense? You guys follow me a little bit? I'm nerding out a little bit, but this is the, you don't even have to read this book anymore. Great, right? So here's the thing. As much as I love science, as much as I love um, research, as much as I love these productivity type of management books and concepts, as a pastor, as a Bible teacher, it's hard for me to feel like it is still very limiting. It is still very limiting because this makes sense if we are purely mammals. If we are purely mammals as human beings and only, uh, only operate through pleasure and reward and psychological manipulation, which a lot of it is, or a lot of a life is, it's retraining your brain as a physical body at the same time, there's, parts, there's a part of us that is undeniably spiritual. There's a part of us that is undeniably has a soul. And you know why I know that? Because humans are drawn 
to love, are drawn to love. And it makes no sense because love does not help our survival at all. Love actually costs a lot. Love requires a lot of sacrifice. Love is not conditional, right? So how does that concept, if we're so drawn to it, if we're so wanting it in our lives, if we're desiring that thing, that has no place if we are just purely animals that seek pleasure. You know what I mean? So we are more than animals. We are more than mammals. There's something deeper, and it requires a, a, it requires a concept that, that understands that. And so there is something missing from this diagram that I want to talk about. And I think the Bible talks about this system a little bit, but in a deeper way. And so that's what I want to talk about for the next, how much I got? Five minutes or so. <laughs> All right. And it is this topic of, or it is this principle of celebration. Celebration. That is the missing piece. All right. I believe celebration Come on. Celebration is the missing part of this wheel that reinforces the new lifestyle. All right? And, and I'm going to blaze through this as quickly as I can, and hopefully you guys can take notes or just remember or whatever. So I want to talk about, briefly talk about a, a, a theology of celebration. Can we do that? Okay? Now, when you think about the Christian faith, is that the first thing you think about? Oh, yeah. Those guys love the party. Those guys are so happy, so positive. They don't share any negative thing on social media ever. They don't make me feel guilty about watching Game of Thrones and listening to Kanye West, right? No, I'm just kidding, right? We're not known for that, okay? But I would argue that at the core, other than the gospel and unconditional love, at the core of our culture and our story is this art of partying and celebrate and celebrating. Yeah, a lot of you are shocked. You didn't know. Good thing you came to church today because you didn't know this, all right? So there is a whole theology of celebration. So we're going to go through I always like to, to break it down in bite-sized paths. So number one, the first core of knowing that we are celebratory people is this concept called the Shabbat, the Sabbath. The Sabbath is actually a celebration. Do you know that God, in the poem in Genesis, he created the world in six days. He labored. He toiled in creating it. And he stood back and said, he's feeling really good about himself. And so he decided to take a rest. I deserve some leisure. I, des I deserve some time to just sit back and just relax. It is a celebratory thing, right? The Sabbath in itself. And... I feel really bad because Sundays are, some, are stressful for about 10 of us that come in here. It, but it's not supposed to be that way, honestly. It is meant to be a celebration. It is meant to be a rest. Every time you come to church on your Sabbath, it should feel like a party. All right? I'm going to try to do a little better about that. Okay? It should feel like a celebration. Number two. All right? Worship, singing is meant to be celebratory. All right? Worship is a celebration of all that God has done. If you read the book of Psalm, right, almost, uh, not all of it, but half of it, I would say. I'm going to be very conservative. Half of it is about, hey, 
we would be in slavery if it wasn't for this guy who took us out of Egypt and saved us and made us into a great nation that is prosperous. It is a celebration of God. Hey, we would still be in Egypt enslaved, right? We would still, we'll, we would still be whatever. And so worship, the songs that we sing, is an, is an art form of celebrating, giving thanks. Woo! I was a bad person. Now I'm not, right? It is a celebration that you sing about. Number three. All right, the feasts and festivals. This is for, like, the nerds that come here. Uh, I'm going to nerd out a little bit for the next 15 seconds. If you show this next diagram, in the, heart of, in the heart of Leviticus, okay? I know a lot of you guys read this book, Leviticus, right? They study it. You guys do your devos in it. You cry. You sing songs to it, right? So I've studied Leviticus for a long time. But do you know that God commands his people to party seven times a year? He commands them to put on these elaborate parties every year. Goodness gracious. Why don't we talk about that in church, right? Okay, God, he commands, he mandates his people to party. And he has all these calendars. The Passover is a party, okay? The Feast of Unleavened Bread is the party that celebrates the Passover. There's a there's a feast of the first fruits is a party that is commanded by God. Uh, the, the Pentecost is another party that God commands. The feast of trumpets, who the heck knows what that is? I'll, you can ask me privately, okay? Rosh Hashanah, that is what it's called. Have you ever had, you know, have you ever been to a, Jew, uh, a school with a bunch of Jews in it? Is that, is that mean to say? Is that not PC? <laughs> Jewish people, right? I, I grew up not in an Asian environment. I grew up with, like, the most Jewish neighborhood in San Diego, okay? So I grew up with all Jews, and, like, elementary, half my class was empty on seven days of the year. And I'm like, goodness gracious, I wish I was Jewish, right? <laughs> Day of Atonement, all right? Yom Kippur is another party that God has commanded. The Feast of Tabernacles. You're, a lot of you guys are looking at me like, I don't, I don't think I read the same Bible as you, Eddie. But these are all in the Old Testament. These are things that God demands and commands. Your people must celebrate, must eat, must pig out. But on the other days, don't do that, okay? But sometimes you got to celebrate. you got to party. And Hanukkah, all right, Hanukkah doesn't, is, is, is really more of a modern thing that we do. All right. So, feasts and festivals is core to the identity of the people of God. You're commanded to party. Do you know that? You're commanded to celebrate the works of God, the good things in your life. Next one. All right, again, I'm going to blaze to heaven. Do you know the greatest metaphor that is described of heaven? It's a party. It is a wedding feast. And it's not just any wedding feast. It is the most elaborate, grandiose party, wedding feast. And guess what? Everyone's invited. Right? It's not just for the rich. It's not just for your friends. But it is a party that God describes as everyone's invited. Those who are socially low. Those who are outcasts. Those who don't belong. Even they are invited to this wedding. And you're like, goodness gracious. Right? Koreans are thinking like, well, you're not going to get a great rate of return on that wedding. Right? Koreans try to break even on cash on, on their weddings. That's why we don't have registries. So that's not a very smart thing, God. But that's, the, that's, that's what God wants to do, all right? Again, it is a party, all right? Heaven, 
is supposed to be a party. I feel like the way that Christians might be living their lives, I don't know if it really conveys that message to the rest of the world that, man, if I go to heaven, it just seems like I'm going to be like, like you're just going to be doing that for eternity. No, okay? But we are presenting this very like, there's no sex in heaven, there's no like, there's no food in heaven, there's no good, right? Uh, last one, okay? Is this, this is a robust theology I'm telling you guys about. All right, the lost, okay? The lost, the lost. So this is where I want to uh, actually open up a Bible verse and, and talk about about the lost. So in heaven, what are they celebrating? Are they like, yeah, it's over. <laughs> Let's celebrate, right? Yes. <laughs> like, no more, like, whatever, right? What are they celebrating in heaven? What are we celebrating? It's just like, God, Jesus, yes, of course. God's reign over the earth. Jesus Christ finally taking the seat of, of David. But what else? What else are we celebrating? And there's this thing that we don't realize that God and all of heaven is celebrating the lost. Those who left but came back. That is something very unique that heaven is celebrating. I want to talk about that before we, uh, before we close today and hear from our, our friends and brothers. So there is a parable uh, in Luke chapter 15. It talks about three parables, and we've talked about here before, but there's, it's three stories in consecutive order. The story of the lost sheep. Now, many of us know this, 99, right? He leaves the 99, goes after the one, Okay? And what does it say, what does God say when he goes and leaves the 99? He abandons the 99 to find the one. He said, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and have never strayed away. Okay, that is something to really think about. Like heaven is parting, and one of the things that they just go over the top about is when one person who left comes back. All right? I, I think it's, very, it's foreign to us because in our, in our American capitalism, if we lose a customer, we just get another one, right? It doesn't matter. We're not trying to get that person back, Right? Like salespeople, you know how many times I've tried to leave Verizon, by the way? Right? They don't work very hard to get me back. <laughs> okay? I left the AT&T yesterday, by the way. <laughs> All right? But you know why? Because no one celebrates them. No one celebrates the customer service people that win clients back. Okay? It's not this big thing. People, people celebrate when we got X amount of new customers. Yeah, right? But in heaven, it's, it's reversed. When we win someone back after they left, we party the hardest for some reason. Don't believe me? I'll show you, right? Continuing on, in the parable of the lost coin, this woman loses a coin, finds it. What does it say? Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angel when one sinner repents. Now, that's so abstract. What does that even mean? What does it look like? And then the final story is a story about a lost son. 
God lo- or not God, but a father loses a son, and he comes back. And what is the father's response? What does he do? What does it look like? It looks like this. Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring on his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf. We have been fattening. This is like the A5 Wagyu, like, you know, cow, right? No, on him, don't waste it on him, right? You're just like, don't do it, right? This is the A5 Wagyu cat, right? We, we must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. There is something so core to this thing that we are all a part of. There's something so core, so central to our culture, to our faith, and it is celebrating. We are people who celebrate weekly, seven times a year. And when people who left God come back, And why this is so important for me particularly, personally, is because I look at this room and I know personally a lot of you, a lot of us, left church a long time ago. That's actually how this church was created and began. It was for the people who left, for the people who said they were done, for the people who who has nothing want to do with God, people who are hurt. People that say, this doesn't work for me anymore. Because when I read the scripture, there's something about heaven that celebrates the most. And those who left, the, the ones that said, I'm never going back, they judge me. Come back. I run into friends and colleagues and they say, hey, I heard this person goes to your church. I was like, yeah, they do. And they say like, oh my gosh, that's a miracle. <laughs> And you might be thinking I'm talking about you, but it's probably not. It's probably a lot of other people. You might even say, like, yeah, Eddie is the pastor. Oh, that guy's still a pastor, right? It's just, it works both ways, guys. It works both ways. Because God celebrates that. And we're going to celebrate that today. We're going to celebrate those two people in our community that have chosen to be with God. Return to God. Before that, though, before I invite you two up, okay, and celebrate, because we're going to celebrate, I want to really practice this. I really want to practice this. And so there are a couple things that I want us to celebrate at Easter. Easter is 421. How weird, right? It's 421. Anyways. Uh, On April 21st is Easter. And I, I want to really, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate big. It is also the, it is also the um, anniversary of Hug. We launched a, a year ago that April. And let's celebrate. Let's celebrate all that God has done. One of the things we want to celebrate is getting to 80% of our clothing drive, material drive. Let's hit that. And another thing that I want to celebrate is that after this week, we're going to start another campaign, which is paying off $100,000 in debt in this community. 
I know a lot of things that are weighing us down in this community is the amount of debt we have because so many people went to USC, all right? I'm a Bruin, so that's why I throw some shade on the, on the Trojans, all right? But again, if we hit 50% of that goal by Easter, let's celebrate. And I know we can do it because I'm already calculating the track and how many people who have debt and how, what our pacing is. But, hey, let's celebrate that, all right? Because that's something to celebrate. Another thing I do want to celebrate is last, um, last Sunday I talked about creativity and creating. And I want to celebrate, all right, us. We're about like 60 people in this room, maybe a little bit more. But if 10% of us, meaning six people, do a creative project, do a creative project, right, we're going to celebrate that. And there's going to be prizes. There's going to be balloon animals. I don't know. But we're, we're, I haven't really thought about it yet, but we want to celebrate big for Easter. And the, thing, the, the theme that I have chosen, so if it's bad, you can blame me, is a Hawaiian theme because I love Hawaii, and it's a thing to celebrate, guys, all right? So we're going to do Hawaiian Easter. We're going to celebrate. We're going to party big, and especially, the, and all jokes aside, what we're going to celebrate is a lot of us who came back, back to church, back to faith, back to a life of discipleship with Christ. That is what the biggest thing we're going to celebrate on Easter, Okay? So that's it. Oh, to answer the question, to wrap it all up, how do we continue? How do we continue to simplify or do anything else? Celebration is the key to continuing anything. Celebration. It's the core. Yes, you want to change your routine. You want to identify the reward. But what will really keep it going, what will really reinforce it is a lifestyle, a core life of celebrating. We need to celebrate more. Small, big, medium, celebrate. Celebrate. God is commanding you to celebrate. God is demanding you to celebrate, to party, to have joy, to give thanks, big or small. All right. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening, and we want to invite you to always stay connected with us. You can find us on Instagram at HugChurch or at HugChurch.com. Until next week, a huge hug as usual from Eddie and myself.